0: Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, December 22nd. Only two more days until Santa comes. I hope you've been nice. I know I have. Well, that's not a universal opinion, but I'll stand by it. I'll also stand by a recent podcast we did, and I'll explain that in a minute. Here's the news this week. The National Opinion Research Center at the University of Chicago, or NORC, has come up with a new cancer metric called the percent of cancers detected by screening, or PCDS. PCDS is exactly what it sounds like the percentage of cancer cases diagnosed after a routine and recommended screening when the cancer is likely at an early stage and more treatable. It's the opposite of cancer detected after someone has symptoms when the cancer is likely more advanced and less treatable. According to NORC, the current PCDS is only 14% when cancer is more treatable. That means 86% of people diagnosed with cancer have a steeper hill to climb. On our December 1st podcast, we reconciled the apparent contradictions in the latest numbers on cancer screenings, cancer cases, and cancer mortality rates. What we talked about answers many of the questions raised by NORC's new PCDS metric. Rather than repeating ourselves, we decided to rebroadcast that podcast. So please enjoy the rebroadcast of our December 1st podcast, Cancer Screenings, Cases, and Mortality Rates. Before we say hello to Dave and Julie, I wanted to say hello to the sponsor of the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Infor. By connecting the business and mission sides of healthcare, institutions can enhance staff experience and simplify patient interactions. With data-driven insights and greater operational control, our sponsor, Infor, supports your company in making healthcare a calling again for your staff.
1: Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning, Dave? Dave. I'm adapting to nocturnal life with the sun setting at 430 in the afternoon, fattening up for the winter. Hibernation is just around the corner. Yeah, you kind of like the squirrels in my yard, Dave. That's great. Think of the nuts in my cheek, cheeks. That's all you got. <laughs> there, there's your segue. Julie, how are you?
2: Well, I will tell you, it is snowing in Seattle, but I fortunately am in Boston. So I'm feeling pretty good about that decision.
0: Dodge the weather. Good for you. Now, before we talk about these seemingly contradictory trends in cancer care and outcomes, I wanted to follow up on your Thanksgiving plans. Uh, Dave, what was your time in the turkey trot?
1: Well, that's kind of a personal question, don't you think?
0: It is. Since I've never run a turkey trot, you could tell me anything and I'd be impressed.
1: But I'm totally joking. Runners love nothing more than to talk about their races. The Chicago Turkey Trot was a blast. Lots of costumes, games, kid races, apple cider, cinnamon donuts, over 7,000 participants. Three quarters ran the 5K. I did the five mile run. My watch said I actually ran five and a quarter miles. That's because I had to weave around all the strollers, walkers, slow runners, and the occasional stupid biker trying to get through the crowd of runners. But I averaged 10, 13 a mile, ran a negative split, which means the second half of the race was faster than the first. The last mile was my fastest. And I got a medal with a turkey on it for my efforts. I'll have to send you a picture. I am
0: impressed very well done. Julie, how did that half pie strategy work out for you?
2: Yeah, the antithesis of the turkey trot. <laughs> well, we had pumpkin and apple and cherry and chocolate cream, but I have to say that the winner, you're not going to believe this, was a key lime pie. It was amazing. Not for Thanksgiving, but it was amazing.
0: Really good. Nothing better than a good key lime pie. Thank you. For me, this was the first Thanksgiving that I really didn't have to do anything, you know, other than peel potatoes. I showed up, had a few adult beverages, ate, played some games, then went home. Uh, Now I know why everyone loves Thanksgiving, especially when everyone else does all the work. (laughs) My daughter's kitchen looked like a restaurant supply house exploded. And I looked at it, and then I just put on my coat and left. It was great.
2: (laughs) Heartless, heartless.
0: You know, it's like, warm up the car, let's get out of here. You know, not so great is what this new study in JAMA Oncology found. Using medical claims data, researchers from Trillian Health looked at the screening rates for breast, cervical, and colon cancer at essentially four points in time before the pandemic during the pandemic, right after the pandemic when everyone opened up their doors again, and the most recent point at which they had data. In each case, the screening rate dropped during the pandemic, rebounded after the pandemic, then tapered off to below pre-pandemic levels. For example, the pre-pandemic screening rate for cervical cancer was 5,602 screenings per 100,000 people, That rate dropped to 3,563 during the pandemic. After the pandemic ebbed, the rate bounced back almost to where it was before, but then it dropped to 4,246 by the fourth quarter of 2021. Dave, does this pattern surprise you? How do we get back the screening rates to where they were pre-pandemic, and what can the market do to push them even higher?
1: I'm still trying to digest all those numbers that came so trippingly off your tongue, Dave. Nice job. But the pattern doesn't surprise me at all. We've got a referee problem in America. Information is more in-depth and more accurate than it's ever been. That's good. Simultaneously, however, and here's the rub, the level of trust among the general public for institutions, experts, and expertise is at an all-time low. Screening rates aren't going to get higher on their own without rebuilding trust and medical expertise. It's critically important that we do so because we're on the cusp of a paradigm shifting breakthrough in diagnostics. In the last month, I've interviewed three CEOs from companies that are using longitudinal big data sets and machine intelligence to diagnose acute chronic diseases much earlier and with more accuracy than ever before. Somalogic uses protein biomarkers collected through blood samples to determine risk profiles, very high, high, medium and low for over 40 chronic diseases, including several cancers. Ezra uses full body scans to look for biological changes that correlate with potential cancers. Ignite analyzes data over time from any and all cardiac devices to determine specific risk levels for cardiac diseases. These are only three of a growing army of companies that are advancing the effectiveness of early diagnosis and targeted interventions. Imagine a not-too-distant future where medicine can diagnose with accuracy pre-pre-disease markers three to five years before symptoms manifest for all chronic conditions from heart disease to diabetes to cancers to Alzheimer's. That's just mind-blowing to me. Interventions to prevent or slow disease onset with so much advance notice will be much more effective than current treatments for active chronic diseases. I've termed this phenomenon diagnostic determinism, but for it to achieve its full potential, we'll need to build trust in the science as it becomes ever better at early and effective diagnosis. As you asked, Dave, the market will help in this march forward as concrete examples of disease prevention and health extension proliferate. The bigger challenge, though, as I've been talking about, will be finding ways to reverse the public's increasing distaste for expertise. Maybe, just maybe, dramatically improving health outcomes and healthy lifespans through enhanced diagnostics and more effective interventions is just the ticket for making this happen. Seeing is believing. More turkey trot, less pie. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Dave. Julie, any
0: questions for Dave?
2: Dave, honestly, I can't think of many things less convenient and less appealing than cancer screening. So I'd love to see this transition to a better model for us as people. Yeah, most people I know had the option to send their poop back in a box instead of going through that agony of colorectal screening and most didn't do it. So let me ask you, would you do it? And what do you think it's going to take for us to shift the tide to home screenings and, you know, ways that actually allow us to get to the, the people we need to get to?
0: Now, that's a more personal question than what time you ran in the turkey Trot, Dave. <laughs> I just
1: wanted to point, point that out. I think it's a stinky question, personally.
2: Wah, but wah.
1: but I, <laughs> I think I've got a good answer. But anyway, specifically, I, I haven't done Cologuard yet but probably will the next time I'm due for a colonoscopy. It's it's great technology done in the privacy of your own without having to drink that crappy liquid that has an awful effect on the body, as all of us, or at least all of us of a certain age do know. But on to your bigger question regarding home screenings, evidence suggests that individuals who receive a concrete diagnosis of a disease seek medical treatment more than 90% of the time. My hope and belief is that Better diagnostics will lead to a significant uptake in diagnostic screenings administered at home where appropriate and in clinics where necessary. My bet is that making it easier to conduct diagnostics, achieving better outcomes and lowering costs will sway consumer behaviors. The mechanics required to change consumer behaviors of the kind you're suggesting, Julie, can be quite daunting, but they do eventually bend toward convenience, motivation, and value. We've got all three here. Diagnostic determinism is our destiny. Well said, Dave.
0: Thank you. Now let's talk about the new annual cancer report from the National Cancer Institute. The report said the incidence rate for cancer was relatively stable during the five-year period 2014 through 2018. It was 497.4 cancer diagnoses per 100,000 for men. It was 430.9 cancer diagnoses per 100,000 for women. But the cancer mortality rate dropped during the five-year period, 2015 through 2019. It was 181.4 cancer deaths per 100,000 for men. That's down 2.1%. It was 131.1 cancer deaths per 100,000 for women, down 1.9%. Obviously, these are pre-pandemic numbers. But Julia, what do you make of them? Uh, Same number of cases, but fewer deaths. How do you see these numbers changing if screening rates are dropping? And what market innovations will push these numbers in the right direction?
2: Well, when looking at the purely pre-pandemic trends, it's pretty easy for me anyway, to see that we may just be getting better at managing cancer, maybe. And screenings, of course, help in a big way. So there'll be an impact, but you know, we've experienced significant advancements in all sorts of things around cancer. Science has really progressed in ways that are stabilizing, and we've even started to cure some cancers. We're seeing innovative solutions in things like cancer care navigation, that navigates cancer patients to higher volume specialists, you know, centers of excellence with deeper and broader treatment experience. And, you know, companies like Jasper or Cancer Aid or Outcomes For Me are making headway in this area. Uh, We all know that we're seeing personalization capabilities that not only enable more appropriate interventions, but keep the inappropriate and often difficult treatments like chemo from actually killing people, right? So that's, that's good. And even real-world evidence advancements are informing the drivers of disease and stand to have a major impact over time as we start to really understand how environments are impacting cancer. And frankly, even people like my mother, who believe wholeheartedly in her health and well-being regimens as something that can actually change the course of her cancer. Not for everybody, but my mom is one of those people. I mean, you name it, we've worked hard to drive cancer towards something that's more chronic, Right. So fast forward to the screening stats Dave just discussed. You know, we'll see an impact. We know cancers will progress further, you know, which will limit treatment options. But let's face it, pre-pandemic, our lives were a little less stressful. So maybe we could focus on ourselves more and providers had their act together. And we're just, you know, we're kind of in disarray at the moment.
0: That's a really interesting point. Thanks,
1: Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? Well, from my perspective, of all the disruptive technologies roiling the healthcare industry, the two most powerful are the digital imperative and diagnostic determinism. Digitization is revolutionizing business models and practices in healthcare as it has already done in other industries. Breakthrough diagnostics, as I just discussed, will dramatically shift resources into prevention and reduce the need for treatment. Here are my questions and they have a lot of Ds in them. (laughs) Do you agree that digitization and diagnostics are the forces that will disrupt and revolutionize status quo healthcare? Yes or no? And if you do, and I think you will, how will their disruptive dynamics manifest themselves? How havoc wreaking can they be and will they be?
2: That's a big question, Dave. And it's hard to not agree with you, but I will dig a little deeper under the simplistic double D, which reminds me of the four P's and the quadruple aim. And I like that you're calling this something. So digitization is only interesting because it enables analytics. And we're still struggling to leverage digitized data due to things like interoperability and data standardization and, frankly, comprehensive enough data sets that allow us to leapfrog some of the simple tasks that can be more easily done thanks to digitization. So that's one thing and analytics, AI, and our ability to draw more sophisticated insights are evolving more quickly now than at any point in our past. So the potential is definitely there, but we continue to fight things like bias in our data. And then therefore the algorithms are also kind of inherently have bias. So we have work to do to really understand how quickly digitization can be helpful here. And we don't want to create unintended consequences, which, you know, if you want to translate that to cancer screenings, it's going to be about creating very poor consumer experiences at the very least, not to mention other issues, right? So that's how I feel about your digitization comment. It's complicated. On the diagnostics side, I completely agree with you. And the more we progress here, the better. But I just want to highlight the importance of genomics here Mm -hmm. because diagnostics are a blunt tool that take the first cut. But that upstream DNA is what can really dictate treatment we know things like the cost of gene testing is decreasing and number of gene sequences increasing and things like that. But the problem so remains this kind of interpretation layer that's a largely manual process and a huge pain point. And there are companies like ODA and Genome Medical, and my favorite name is Genomenon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Or Helix. You know, the list goes on. So Dave, you're right, but it's just not that simple.
0: Prevention and precision medicine. That's two Ps right? So that's where I'm putting my money. There
1: are four Ps, actually. Oh, let's hear them, Dave. Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) Prevention, precision, medicine. Personalized and participatory.
0: There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You were listening more closely than I was. That's excellent alliteration and a good (laughs) lesson from from Julie's response. But great discussion. Thanks, Dave. And thank you again, Julie. And thanks again to our sponsor, Infor connects the business and mission sides of healthcare, enhancing the staff experience and simplifying patient interactions with data-driven insights and greater operational control. And that is all the time we have for today. We hope you enjoy the rebroadcast of our December 1st podcast, Cancer Screenings, Cases and Mortality Rates. Not exactly a festive topic, but an important one. If you'd like to learn more about what we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now and don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. We'll be back next week with a new episode when we look back at the biggest healthcare stories of 2022. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health.